Your RPG campaign sucks. Wait, come back, I'm just kidding! Do I have your attention now? Your campaign might be good, but it may be missing a little something. That's where Battle Bards comes in. Battle Bards is premium tabletop audio to take your game to the next level. Is your player's level 5 fighter ready to smack an orc in the face? Battle Bards has a sound effect for that. Is your level 3 rogue ready to talk some information out of a barkeep? Battle Bards has the voice acting for that. Are your characters ready for a halfling camp song that raises spirits and shows your players a better time? Battle Bards is here for all your fantasy audio needs. And with the MFG cast, we can help out. Go to BattleBards.com right now. Sign up for an account. And with purchasing a $10 and $25 package, use the code MFGCAST1 and you get a free song, The Dwarf Temple, The Soul Forging Score Music. If you're into buying $50 and $100 packages, you'll get five total tracks on us for free with using the code MFGCAST2, including A Monsterscape, I Monster Combat, Behold Extermination, The Soundscape, Dungeon, Dungeon of Loss, Inhabited, the NPC script, Armorsmith, Steel and Silk, and the sound effect, Short Bow, Arrow Barrage. And if you're really ready to get into that fantasy audio, buy your $150 and $300 packages and get 10 total tracks, one full album for free from us by putting in the code MFGCAST3, including music, Dark Elf City, Morning Doer, score music, the sound effect, Magic Missile Spell, the Monsterscape, Common Giant, Torture, Hill Giant, and Entertaining at Home. Also, Racial Language, Orcish, Orc, Brute, Lashes Out. And including Soundscape, Castle Ruins, Ruins of the Black Castle at Night. BattleBards has hundreds of great fantasy audio at your fingertips to use for that great audio-enhancing experience for all your RPG gaming. Or, if you want to enhance your board gaming... Or if you do something online, like say a podcast like we do, you can use all that fantasy audio, bring it up to the next level. You don't trust us? Well, how about Battle Bards audios being used for the Dungeon Rats podcast, the God's Fall podcast, or maybe you've heard a little something called Critical Role on YouTube, or them having a contract with the Roll20 app? Battle Bards has all your fantasy audio waiting and a big thank you to BattleBards for being a sponsor on the show. This is the MFG Cast. Hey guys, Kurt here. We have a fun little interview, talky, you know, whatever you want to call it. We're going to have a nice little conversation. Uh, It's an old friend of ours. You may know him. We kind of back and forth on our Twitter account. So if you follow us there, you're probably sick of us talking, chatting back and forth. 
sending gifts and the like, or GIFs if you're an a-hole. And so we've got Mike Wokash, Fairway Through Games, back on the podcast to talk to us. Mike, thanks for coming back on. Oh, no, thanks for having me, Kurt. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, so it's it's been a long time. So, you know, you need to f- refresh my memory because last time we talked, you know, I should be like the, the guy to know these things because, you know, you're supposed to do research. But what did we talk about when we when we talked last I think you and I chatted intellectual property, and and it was right. Oh, before, that's right. And it was right before the starving artist contest, <laughs> or uh, oh, Kickstarter. Oh, there you go. Oh, so that's pretty good timing, I think. Just about it. Just about a year. Yeah. Just about a year. Yeah. So fast forward a year. A year. Gosh, that is almost. Yeah, that's almost to the day. Yep. Oh, that's pretty good timing on my part. Man. <laughs> um. So I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about the process of Starving Artists because when, you know, when this first started, you were nice enough to send us our own little little box, our own little copy, the little game that could, you know, the bits were nice, the art was awesome, you know, we kind of talked on that on that episode about the art that you could use and stuff like that. And it turned from this little itsy bitsy little game that had a cool little idea to just blown up on Kickstarter. A lot of people talking about it through different channels and stuff like that. Um, tell us about tell us about the process of when it started out. You know, thinking like, okay, well, I really hope that I can get to this point uh, for the funding, and then just where it went from there. Yeah. So you have um you have a classic edition now, and in some ways, it's the uh... A hardcore model of it because it was a little itty bitty game it had you know i think it, at the time it went out there there were so few cards and there was like a lot more randomness to the game but yeah it started out uh, it was actually a contest idea for the game crafter it was my take on a survival game and i sort of came up with it as a joke and when I had said I was going to make a, a survival game that was a little different than what you would normally see for a survival game, you know, like there was no zombies, there was no killer bees, you weren't trying to find your way back to Earth from outer space. This was a, how can I like turn a joke into a serious game? It was, I spent most of 2015, August, September, October, right in that time period, sort of perfecting this idea of how do I make a starving artist game, a game where the the players, the play mechanic is the players slowly losing nutrition and turn it into a paint by cube sort of masterpiece of a game. It was about September, October where this joke of an idea actually looked like it would have merit. I took it to a proto spiel, I did the whole game designer, you know, things, I took it to conventions and uh, something really interesting happened with it. People would pick up the bits. They would take the uh, like the little cubes and just start putting them on the the cards, even if they weren't playing the game. They were just watching somebody else. They would like take that person's cubes off the table and like start putting them on cards that weren't weren't even in play at the time. Um, and I recognized like right away there was a certain uh, I don't know appeal. Uh, it had a it had something that was not my normal experience with a card game, right? You don't typically have people just like glancing over other people's shoulders, going, "What are you playing? Can I touch that 
game bit can i can i paint your little masterpiece for you like that doesn't happen even with like sort of beautiful games i have yeah no if i play a game and anybody touches my bits a hand is coming off come on uh, that you know and you you would think that was that would be the case but everybody's like no no you should try this you know like the the paint by cube mechanic is just it's fun and um (laughs) so it was pretty early on i realized there was something special there i got it sort of refined into a version kind of like what you had um to review it was like a deck of 30 cards 38 cards something like that a handful of canvases a bunch of cubes in a little itty bitty three and a half by five and a half box just tiny and i that's what i sent to the reviewers that's what i sent to be judged in the contests everybody still liked it even in this like sort of little form it was maybe a little rough around the edges there were things that i i think even in the the prototypes and the review copies that i sent out like if i had gone back and done it again i might not have sent it out the way that it was but the Kickstarter really took off. People really responded well to just a massive amount of sort of high quality art um, from the public domain that were plastered on really large oversized cards. Um, and a game mechanic that was kind of funny, a little bit interesting, not quite controversial, but I do get occasional people saying, you know, like this isn't a very PC name for a game, but Starving Artists had a very well-funded Kickstarter, um, uh, a little bit more than $50,000 raised, a few more than 1,300 people backed. I think all pre-orders and all game copies in, I was easily over 1,500 copies sold by the time I went to production. And so almost all of my backers at this point have their copies. There's a handful of stragglers in the EU and around the world, but as of um, yesterday, I know people in like Ankara, Turkey already have their copies, and just just super interesting to to see where it all went. Yeah, that's awesome. That's you know it's it's cool because you know you've you've done games before, you know, but you know nothing of this scope. So it it must be pretty amazing just to be like you know oh this one went to England, this one you know to know that just a little piece of you is in different parts of the country being played right now. That's got to be an amazing feeling. Yeah, it's super neat. Uh, there's there is definitely a part of it that's like, wow, I can't believe there's 50-odd countries where a copy of Starving Artists um, you know, are present, and people actually went out and out of their way and spent more money to actually get it shipped to these locations, which is pretty crazy. I know all of this also because I'm the guy that ended up having to figure out the logistics of shipping the game around the world, <laughs> um, which is its own little challenge for anybody thinking about doing it. But uh, yeah, it's super neat. It's it's interesting. I'm uh, going to Australia for vacation uh, for my kids' spring break, and you know a bunch of the places we're going, I know copies were delivered there, and so my kids are like, we should go find the people that have it and play it with them. I'm like, <laughs> I, I want to go on vacation too. <laughs> so, but That's yeah, awesome. it's super super neat. And it awesome. turned out, and it turned out to be a gigantic game in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the box is. Uh, two and a half times bigger at least Mm -hmm. uh there is twice as many cards i think i added as much weight in cards as the original game just in um stretch goals throughout the course of the campaign so um, people have taken pictures with their review copies and the the final production copies and they're just it's a gigantic difference yeah yeah it's it's like it's like a, a Tolkien-esque like book next to you know the the little review copy that that could you know. 
Right, yeah, exactly. That barely fit in the other little one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You'd probably fit a couple of them in there. Um, yes. So, you know, coming with the stretch goals and making the box design and the little bits and stuff like that that much better, which I, I, you know, I said on Twitter, but I'll say it. I say I'll say it here too. Like, you really went out of your way to make this a beautiful looking game package, basically. You know, you know, where you know, you know, we've said this in the past, and I won't. I won't mention any names of different companies, but there's some companies that you, you, as soon as they make a game, you're like, okay, it would be, it would have been nice if you would have just done a little something more with your presentation of your box, you know, where, you know, you did the whole, you know, the, the big box, the metallic, uh, clasp, uh, or the, um, the magnetic clasp, not the metallic. It's it's made of metal, but uh, and then the the picture within, I mean, just and the extra bits for the wilds and stuff like that. Just the presentation itself, like I gotta say, bravo, just because you know when you when you grab a game, sometimes when people look at different things, they look at the box, they look at you know if they're playing it at a game store, they look at what's inside, and a lot of times they'll judge that based on their first reaction. You know, where my first reaction on opening this up is like, wow, this is really a beautiful presentation and just, and it's nice to see where it can go, you know, and it'd be nice if more people had a little attention to detail. Now saying that, I understand it depends upon where you're at, because again, if you're a big company, you know, they probably have to just, you know, they have a factory that makes A, B, and C, and that's just how they do it. Uh, little little companies doing Kickstarters, you know, they don't have that kind of money, and unless they're at that point where they get to that, you know, those stretch goals, and if they think about it. But I just, I just was, you know, very, very uh, impressed by what you did. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, and you know, I did spend a lot of time um, working on it, and refining it, uh, probably more time than I had originally anticipated, uh, in part because I had to go back a little bit to uh, uh, to to scratch for the box and for some of the things like the inside of the cover. So um, for those that don't know, Starving Artist has a magnetic box where the, the lid sort of pops off, but it doesn't detach. And on the inside cover of the lid is a, um, a scoring track. So almost all of those things were new as a result of the design. And as I worked with the manufacturer to get the box and stuff done, like I had to go back to scratch <laughs> a couple times to get it just right, to fit the box, to fit the dimensions to have it not look uh, kind of, you know, out of place or stretched beyond belief. Um, but you're, you're right, you know, there's a lot of games, and you know, I have started reviewing games too, where I, I look at them and go, y- you should have spent a little bit more money on the graphic design, or you should have thought about, you know, different font choices or the presentation of insert any almost any part of it, whether it's just a, the box or whatever. Because I, I do think from both the consumer's perspective and how well it'll take pictures and show up on social media, all of those things definitely factor in. And I think that um, art drives a bunch of eyeballs and it might not be a perfect cure for um, bad gameplay, but it certainly will get more people to look at a bad game, even if it has beautiful art. You know, I did have the advantage in this case where uh, Ryan Sanders, who the Inquisitive Meeple and I had sort of teamed up to, to peruse through I don't know, it feels like tens of thousands of public domain paintings and pieces of art and to 
sort of gathered together what turned out to be about the 100 best pieces of art uh, to put into the game, as well as I had to use it for the score track and the box. Um, the people, some people immediately react to the box because it is this sort of well-known Kandinsky um, work that I sort of reshaped to fit the exterior of the box. And, and one of the other things that's hard for people to appreciate is that you know this game it's paint by cube so there's like a whole bunch of these paintings I actually somewhat obliterated like I, I did a total injustice to some of these paintings by putting cube squares on top of them and when you think about it you're like well, how did you just avoid ruining this beautiful um, you know masterpiece and I think that was part of the magic in the game was I had worked really hard to you know, let the pieces of art be the pieces of art, but still work as a gameplay mechanic. Um, I don't think there's too many of my backers who are upset with how the little squares and uh, diamond shapes that indicate where you're supposed to put the cubes look, even even though that you, you would think if you saw this in a museum this way, you, you would go, what in the world did somebody do to this beautiful piece of work, um, <laughs> artwork? And that's exactly what I ended up doing. And I think um, people who have tried to use things like the um, custom card creator came to appreciate how difficult it was to not like obscure the pretty art um, that you are now overlaying these somewhat ugly square shapes on top of them. Um, and the same thing with the, the, the box. You know, like, how do you take a Kandinsky and not do it you know, an injustice by slathering, you know, logos and, um, you know, the, the um, card, the, the game name across the middle of it. It was, it was actually a lot of work, a lot more work than I think people would otherwise assume that you would um, sort of have to undertake in order to take a public domain, beautiful piece of art and use it in a game. So yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it, was awesome. it was an interesting challenge for sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, yeah, just <clears throat> just just designing a game itself is hard enough, but just the little bits that go into it, you know, I I think people take that for granted because it's like you have to you have to make everything work for people to really enjoy a thing because again, you know, just like, you know, you've made a game, you've reviewed tons of games, you've looked at tons of games and you know, you'll look at one or two things, you'll be like, okay, the, again, we, you've already said this, there's little things you can do to tweak that would make this a million times better, you know? Yep, absolutely. Um, right, and I, I have a hard time for anybody who, who doesn't know, I write reviews for the Indie Game Report. Uh, that's the IndieGameReport.com. I'm advertising myself on your <laughs> podcast, get that? Um, but I have a hard time, even when I do my reviews, not including the... If I were the designer of this, I would have thought about doing, you know, this other thing. I, I wrote one, I won't name names, um, just a couple weeks ago, where the game was fine. It was actually interesting subject matter, like even the art was reasonably presented, the, there was nice graphic design, it wasn't, uh, it was never going to be a blockbuster game, but me and my playtesters were all like, why is this game all card-based draw for your actions? This should be worker placement. Like, where was the... How is it that this game, beautifully designed otherwise, relies on sort of a really bad mechanic to do what they wanted it to do? 
Um, and, you know, it's those sorts of things. Now it's very hard for me to look at them and, and not interject my, this would be a really great worker placement game. Or, you know, they've, they've relied on what I would have thought, you know, might have come out during playtesting, you know, a, a mechanic that didn't fit super well. Uh, and so some of those things I know as a independent game developers, re they're really hard steps to take and they're really hard things to do and they're, it's hard to get out of your mold or your original thinking. It might come as a surprise for you to know that uh, Starving Artist was originally an auction game. It had like this auction component in it um, where people would bid on the canvases and you know, like my, that was one of the very first things that when it came to playtesting, everyone was like, this has got to go. We're not doing the fun part. You're not painting the paintings. You're not doing what people want you to do. Um, and I was like, okay, it doesn't have to be an auction game. We're moving on. And then um, it, it, it sort of found its niche in the um, paint by cube, collect cubes, paint cubes um, uh, mechanic that's there now. So. Nice, nice. Um, so speaking on that, just because I think that's a, a good segue to go to, let's talk about some of the challenges that you had as far as the Kickstarter went. Because everybody everybody talks about, you know, all the good stuff, you know, like, oh, you know, we got all this money and then do all this. And you kind of hit on a couple of points. But I always like to talk to people that have had successful Kickstarters just to kind of give their advice for the other people out there that may be looking to start their own. So what are some of the challenges that you had that uh, plagued you that you had to kind of get around? So do we have like seven hours to do this? Cause I can, <laughs> I, <laughs> so, so there were a couple interesting things that I had not really anticipated. One, which I, it still gets me is, um, so the game is very dependent on these transparent little cubes, right? Like the, the, the game would not be the same without these eight millimeter little cubes of a particular color. And there's a bunch of different colors. Well, I had put out quotes to all these manufacturers. They're like, yes, we can do these colors. I even gave them the Pantone numbers. And I went through all of this to like how best to communicate with a Chinese manufacturer the exact colors I wanted for these little cubes signed up a manufacturer, got all the way through it. They sent me what's called a white box copy. And I don't know how to put it, but the greens are terrible. And I tweeted about it. I posted an update into the Kickstarter. The greens were like sea foam or something. It was not the, the emerald-like green color that you have in the games now, or even in the prototype for that matter. But it was it was green was the first, and then it was purple, and then it was getting them to give me the smoke gray blacks that are transparent and not opaque. And so, like, what I had not allotted really any time for was the back and forth with the manufacturer to find me these little these little cubes. It's like one of the very first hurdles that put me off by a couple months was this sort of back and forth with that. You know, and so if there's any indication... If I were to do this again, I would not do a game with little bits and little components where <laughs> where, I, where I'm going back and forth with the manufacturer about it. Well, maybe um, that's the thing with that other game that you were talking about. Maybe they just did cards because they're like, they tried to do the whole bits thing and they're like, oh my god, this is so hard to do. Maybe, uh, maybe. It could be. It, it could have been that. It, they might have been thinking that far ahead, but, um, you know, I... I 
in my, maybe that's to their credit. <laughs> I should have given them more credit. Way to think about it from the, when you move to Chinese manufacturing, <laughs> thumbs up on that one. But the fact that people do it and are managed to do it, you know, like it shouldn't be an impediment, but I just did not account for the time it would take to do that. The final version of the game also has like little wood bits that are painted and silk screened and, I did in my all of my quotes include for the stretch goal these like wooden bits that was the very last thing the game was going to get. If I hit $50,000, which we just a couple hundred dollars over, um, I was going to add these, you know, wood bits for everybody. I was replacing little plastic tokens for food, essentially, that would be used for the score tracks and for the nutrition tracks. And now everybody looks at it and it's like, it's a great game component. It sells it a lot. But again, it was one of those things where I ended up doing, spending way more time talking about silk screening and the proper shape and the proper size, the proper, you know, you don't really think about it. I just I sort of gave them the picture of what I wanted and told them approximately how long they should be. But it was like, well, how deep? How long? What color yellow do you want for the pineapple? What color purple for the grapes? Like, it was, it, was, it added a whole bunch of more time. Um, the other sort of thing, and I think that this is true, and it gives me a whole new appreciation for Kickstarter creators who are serial creators who go through this all a lot. But man, that that last fulfillment step—the getting it all manufactured, getting it all shipped to the—for you know, me, it was I shipped it to a fulfillment center in China. I shipped it to Games Quest in the EU. I shipped it to Amazon in the United States. Like. The coordination of all of that was just it's sort of unbelievably massive and time-consuming. And with even just, I, I look at some of the multi-thousand backer campaigns going, I do not understand how you've done all of this, but I made so many mistakes, like addresses, packaging, you know, like making sure everybody got the games that they pre-ordered along with what they ordered. And then, you know, I sold game mats and like just the fulfillment of it all was just a huge undertaking. And I do not understand how people do this regularly. <laughs> so it is a lot of work. Well, what, what are some of the things that, what are some of the little things that you would have cut out that would have maybe save that time and energy? <sighs> Can I just hire somebody else to do it all for me? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the easy way to do it. Uh, yeah, that's my next... That, I, I've sort of told myself every next project, I'm letting somebody else do the work. I, so I think if I had to do it all again, I probably would have aimed to do my original fulfillment and delivery plan, especially for the United States, because that was a vast majority of my backers were here. Because I was already running up against the timeline, I had originally proposed or thought my delivery date would be sometime before Christmas, and I was I was running very close. Uh, but as those delays started to kick in right around August and September, when I still didn't have the stupid green bits that I wanted, I was looking at it going, I need a backup plan. And so I ended up moving to a sh an alternative shipping plan already in October, um, I started planning to drop ship, essentially drop ship everybody but folks in the EU, their games directly out of, sh out of China, which cost me a lot more money, but it delivered closer to my December 
estimated date. I ended up started drop shipping right around my birthday in January, end of January, and people were getting their games uh, in the beginning of February um, or so. And so I was, it saved, it saved everybody about a month and a half of oceanic shipping across the Pacific. My original plan was just to fill everybody out of Amazon, which would have been easy, relatively inexpensive and consistent, but it would have taken longer. Yeah, and that part's tough, especially with Kickstarter, because everybody's just like, "Where's my game?" Yeah, <laughs> they don't really care about they don't really care about the other stuff, unfortunately. Right. Yeah. So starting about December, it was like, "Where's my game?" You told me December. Where's my game? And it's like, I I hear you. I I am the. If there was one person who really wanted this delivered already by December of last year, it was me. I did not want this sitting on my desk. I did not want any more communication with Chinese manufacturers. I was sort of ready for this to be done, but there were there were things that I just couldn't help. And I'm pretty sure now that people have the game in their hands, they're happy for that weight. It is just super hard for even the creator to to be patient enough to get it right and i can understand people's pressure to like rush it through and you know force it to get done and uh, i'm glad i spent the time that i did to get it right frankly yeah i'm sure everybody everybody appreciates it for sure yeah now they do (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly well i again i think with the presentation and with everything that you did i think I, i don't think anybody has really a reason so but that's just me, and everybody else has their opinion, so I'm not going <laughs> to... I like your opinion. People probably scream at I like your opinion, so if you want to keep that and <laughs> force it upon everyone... Sweet, sweet. <laughs> I will, I will. If anybody has any business, you direct them directly to me. I'll take all right, all right. Sounds good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the other side of the the other side of things. So before you made this game, you were a uh, reviewer. You had your own website, but now you've joined forces with these with uh, some more colossal reviewers to create the indie game report. Um, so you know, kind of tell me about how that all came to pass because it seems like you guys, you know, before it was a little a little thing that you guys were kind of like, well, I don't know, we'll kind of see what happens, and now it looks like you guys hit the ground running and you're re- reviewing lots of indie games. Yeah. So at around the time of the Starving Artist Kickstarter, I was writing reviews for uh, the Inquisitive Meeple, uh, which was had been a you know fairly well-known mostly interview site uh for designers and ryan asked if i would start writing you know the occasional review and i and i was doing it very occasionally i you know was not what i was doing i was focusing on starving artists and doing all of those things ryan about uh july june or july of last year told me that he was going to sort of close up shop in october so i was like oh great so i've got like six solid reviews on your site and that's it <laughs> pretty much um and so i i he told me that and i the one of the very first things i did is like all right well, i'm going to continue to do this i'm going to start writing reviews for my own thing while he winds down and at the same time i sort of i was introduced i think ryan actually might have introduced me to she goes by the name cassie l a video reviewer who was doing her own thing, sort of had her own small following, and she and I joined forces essentially to create the Indie Game Report. We started chatting. We figured the two of us doing reviews, video and written, we would cover more ground. 
be able to put up more content more regularly. And so we got, we hit the ground running, like started doing reviews regularly. We got some pretty big initial previews from, you know, both large and small indie games. I um, had a foothold in the Game Crafter community where there is a need for some very green game designers who are just trying to put up a sort of print-on-demand game. They want reviews for their games or they're looking at Kickstarter in the long run and they're looking for something like that. Don't know who to approach or how to approach a, a more established reviewer. And so I, we started getting some of these. We got a handful of really big previews that hit um, Kickstarter really large in the next couple months. And so uh, it's things started to take off sort of right away for us. Ryan Sanders, ironically, decided that he didn't want to run a site, but he was willing to continue doing interviews on occasionally, and so he would interview some very large members of the game design community, including Matt Leacock and a few others, and so he kept his interview thing going on a very sporadic basis, and things started to sort of roll from there. We've picked up a couple other contributors, <coughs> game designers, uh, Dan Letzring from Lateman Games. I don't know if you've had him on. If not, you should totally have him on. Um, Steve Aramini, who, Stephen Aramini, who is also a very big name in um, sort of indie games. He's got three Kickstarters, I think, or four Kickstarters in the next four months coming. So <laughs> I can't imagine. He's not doing them personally. He's signed his games to other people to do them. Uh, but yeah, so like they're, we've, we're sort of the Asmodee of uh, indie game content contributors. We've just sort of been absorbing folks uh, who are looking for a home, essentially. That's great. So, so you know, one of my questions is because of the whole written written reviews, It's it seems like a lot of work because I've we've done both here. We've done the interviews, uh, you know, the, the podcast interviews and then interviews online and stuff like that. And it seems like, it seems like writing, writing is a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it because I'm not, I'm not the worst um, writer in the world, but I'm not the best either. So, you know, you have to think of, you have to think of ways to not only review a game that uh, calls out the good and bad of it, but also you have to, write enough good content where somebody that's interested in this game has enough information. So how do you get that good balance when you're writing something like that? I'm not sure I have yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I think that there's, for my real profession, I am a lawyer. I have taken an awfully lawyerly approach to writing most of my reviews, and it's almost formulaic in in some ways. But, um, you know, when I end up writing, I just try to think about what is it that I care about when I read a review or a preview. Like, I don't need somebody to rewrite verbatim the rule book that's on the Kickstarter page and then plop a one paragraph review at the end. I almost always write from the, what do people really care about? Or what is it that I understand people care about? Or what is it that that I care about? Because ultimately at the end of the day, for things like previews, Often, you know, I am one of four people who have reviews on the site that people are actually going to see in a Kickstarter where their game isn't otherwise available. Um, And I think that's a, it's a different, it is a different beast than simply writing a review about a game that's widely published. And so 
I do take slightly different approaches to my previews and my reviews, um, although I score them and I treat them at, at the end of the day all the same way, but I, I, I view previews um, through a, I've got to convey more information about what's really going on and this person is really relying on one of four, you know, four or five reviews in a game of a game to spend their money on or they might re- read it themselves. But I think the, the idea is how do I convey enough information to help me, if I were the reader, decide whether I should buy this game or back this designer, back this game. Uh, and I've now seen it from both sides, so I also I am also somewhat conscious of the... There is also a person whose heart, blood, sweat, soul has gone into this game, and often... Um, a great deal of time, energy, and money of their own um, into getting me a copy of that game. So I, I try to make sure that when I write, all of the things that you know I view as important find their place someplace in the uh, um, review. And uh, like I said, I also have a hard time not interjecting my why did the designer do it this way? <laughs> um, and sometimes it's interesting because the designers will take my feedback, including pretty big ones, uh, Daily Magic Games, for example, I reviewed Go Nuts for Donuts and with my kids, and we played that game. It was like a sleeved print-and-play that they had sent me, which was interesting, but I reviewed the game, and you know, I walked away going, man, there are like three or four things in here that are just not the way they could be. They read the review, sent me messages, and said, hey, that is a really good idea. We fixed that here hey, that's a really good idea, we fixed that. And so like in my review, you'll see I have like linked to their tweets where they said these are really good points and they went back and fixed some aspects of the game. So, um, you know, like I do feel like in those sorts of situations, um, my audience is a designer who's willing to listen, but mostly I'm hoping buyers beware if I'm listing off things that don't seem quite right, so... Well, that's good. That's good that you you are aware enough to, you know, do those kind of things. Because, um, you know, me and Tracy just did a review lately, and we won't specify it right now because it'll come out eventually. But, you know, there it was a part where we had to, where we had to say what we disliked about it. And, you know, the ga- we've been really lucky. We've had, we played a lot of games that we've had for reviews that have been, you know, pretty good, you know. And there, there'll always be things that you talk about that it's like, well, I don't like the art because I don't like this kind of art, or you know, I don't like this mechanic because it just it doesn't make sense to me. But to naturally find a way to talk about something where you're like, okay, I have to convey what I don't like, but I don't want to be one of these people that's just like, okay, I hate it, or you know, this stinks because again, just like you said, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to hurt these people's feelings because regardless of if they're Joe board game or if they're Eric Lang, they all have, they all have their, you know, they're all people. They all have, you know, feelings. You don't want to just, you know, throw something out there without having a good intellectual backup on what, why you think that it's that way. Yeah. And I, and I never say this is a bad game or this is terrible, or there's going to be nobody that's going to like this game. I think if I ever got to that point, I would kindly reject (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the the review or even you know somebody saying will you preview this game because sometimes I can tell right away I will I'm going to just be 
not feeling great about doing the review of something like that. I try not to do that because there's almost always someone, even if it's just the designer and the designer's mom, who are going to enjoy the game, who will find pleasure in doing in playing the game. Um, I try to make it clear. I even use um, the way I score games is I've, I've taken my Fairway 3 games and like applied it to the scoring of games. And I give everyone a par, birdie, eagle, one over par as sort of a whether this game performed where I think it ought to have or was it better to exceed my expectations is this literally one of the greatest games I've ever played sort of um, things I've never I don't golf but I've never gotten an eagle but there's a few games where these are these are really really great games that have gotten eagles they've got to be very good games but I try to use that sort of framework because there are people like me who will golf at one over par and those are you know that's a fine game might enjoy it they'll still have fun doesn't mean it's the greatest game in the whole wide world um even among its you know like sort of peers but i try to keep that in mind um i have written like the negative review where it's a very cautionary tale like i'm not sure who is going to like this game and I am going to warn you that you ought to be careful. And it's interesting because those ones often are the controversially ones that I don't think ought to get the traffic that end up getting the traffic just for being somewhat controversial. Um, Mm -hmm. um, Often out of board game geek forums, there's been a couple where they've been linked, like either by the designer or someone who said, have you seen this review? And it's like, I don't really want that to be like one of the higher trafficked posts, but there it is. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta take the good with the bad. I guess. It, uh, yeah. I wish, I wish the glowing reviews of really great games got as much traffic as sometimes the negative reviews do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's tough. So <clears throat> how do you, so this is a question I probably asked you the last time we talked, but how do you, how do you balance all this? I mean, you, a lot, you know, a lot of people don't see this behind the scenes stuff. Cause you got a family, you got you're making this game, you're doing all these report, you know, all these reviews and stuff like that. And that, that takes up a lot of time. You know, there's not a lot of time for other stuff, you know? Like, so how do like you, work. you know, how do you balance it out? Yeah. Yeah. Like your real like job. Like my real job. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so so you're absolutely right. Um, it's been a lot of very late nights, especially getting the game done and finished and finalized. Uh, the nice thing about that is, uh, going back to the whole parts thing, it's not like it was a constantly, you know, there's eight hours every night where I was refining cards or something like that. A lot of the communication, there, there was time there that I couldn't do anything and it was sort of out of my hands even waiting for things like production proofs like I am not going to change anything between now and the time I get these production proofs sent shipped to me from China it just wasn't going to happen um, I also tried to com- sort of combine the things I was already doing I was already playing a lot of games I was already doing um, you know taking pictures for Instagram and putting it on social media. I was already doing some of these things and just simply writing my long form review of a game a couple weeks before it was to publish and then I would go back and read it every once in a while. Like it wasn't that much extra work, but it, you're right. There were there were things my um I often will test a game to learn it the first time before 
I try to play it with other people, with my son, who has now taken the position that he just wants to go back and play all the fun games that we already have and not constantly play new games that he doesn't know if they're going to be fun or not. <laughs> like, sorry, buddy, this is what you signed up for. And then he points out he didn't sign up for anything. But we get a lot of games that, you know, we get to play and an opportunity to play them. And he should appreciate that for what it is. But, uh, you know, so I, I was already doing a bunch of this stuff sort of on my own, not like with any real focus and, you know, running the indie game report. Let me do that. I, you know, game design. I just, I can't stop like fiddling with things. I can't stop entering game design contests. Um, I just sort of compulsively feel the need to do it. Newly acquired graphic design skills. I can't stop like helping people better their own games, things like that. So I just can't stop. And then I still have my regular work too, which, you know, is not a nine to five job. It is a long hours job for me. So, so yeah, that makes me think about, so you got the whole family thing going on. Um, you know, you, you posted on Twitter the other day that your son got some cards printed out for a game that he wanted to make for Game Crafter. So, you know, is you know, you were talking about the fact that now it can't help putting yourself on Game Crafter and making stuff or whatever. Now, are you putting it on your kids and now you're like, oh my God, now what have I started or? Kinda. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so Owen is an old pro at things like um, Protospiel. He's been to four or five of them and he just does his own thing he's got his own game mind going and constantly doing it the funny thing is like most of the time his games are nonsensical like i can't they're not real games they're i guess in the best word they're game stubs they're half games they're you know we play something and he really likes it and then he focuses on that and then can't sort of synthesize it into anything else well he started to sit down the other day um for a button shy contest they wanted a micro game or they're i think it opens at the end of this month uh they're looking for a micro game 18 cards or less and, uh, and i told him about a month ago or a month and a half ago i'm like if there is ever a game you could make you could you should try to see if you could put together a micro game it doesn't take a lot of cards there's not a lot of things you need to think about but it's still going to be a fun game you got to figure out how to make it work so he sat down and started, I have a bunch of prototype blank poker cards, and he started writing on them, and, you know, he's like, okay, Dad, I think I've got a game. And he showed it to me, I'm like, wow, there's actually, like, a game here, and there's a beginning, a middle, an end. I was like, okay, you're close, you you know, there's, you haven't quite figured it all out, and so... He went back to the drawing board a little bit, took the cards that he had, made a few changes, and came back. He's like, all right, I'm ready to play it again, Dad. I really want to enter this contest. I'm like, well, you got plenty of time, no no rush. And then this time, like, the game actually worked. Like, there was decisions, and, like, I feel like I could win, and he could lose, and he could win, and I could lose. And, like, the it was just, it was super interesting to watch it happen. Um, and I was like, okay, you know, if you want i will buy you a you know like a single deck of your cards and get it all printed out and then we can play it for real uh and it actually it was super neat he went through the whole play testing experience with it he relied on me to put all the cards together and you know like i found free art and you know helped him with uh, some of the what it should look like and that sort of stuff but like it was actually it is a a legitimate game and so yes i have doomed my son to the game design um perils um i don't know it's interesting it's creative um, my daughter wants to be an artist for one of my games i'm like you will save me so much money 
please make that happen. <laughs> Keep doing that. <laughs> Keep doing that. Yeah. You, you, you've got about 12 years before you'll be good enough, but, you know, you'll save me so much money. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. That's so awesome. That's funny that you say that, too, because I'm I'm just making, trying to make a little game for our family, you know? And um, the one thing I want to do, and I, you know, I even thought about it because I was like, I'm not going to, you know, it's going to take me a long time to pull art off the internet or, you know, I'm not, I don't have any money to hire anybody. But I was like, you know what, my son, you know, even though he's, you know, only, you know, six or six, about to be seven, he's turned into quite a, quite the little artist because they, at his school, they really do a good job. And I thought, well, if I'm going to make this fun little game and I thought I had my family in mind, I was like, well, if I have him just do whatever he thinks that these things should be and have him make the art, then maybe he'd more, be more invested in it. So, I, you know, so I was like, oh, it's, I was like, hey, buddy, I want to make this game, you know, and it's a space game. And I'm like, you know, I just want you to make up some different things. You know, I'll just I'll show you what it is. And then you, uh, you do whatever you want to do. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, <laughs> I was just like, you know, it's 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 cool because it, you know, not only is it a thing where it's 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 you know games and you know your our families are, seem to be pretty big into you know playing these games with us but it also you know gets them creative in that in those aspects where it's like you know other than you know watching tv or playing a video game or you know you know doing some something that's you know not as creative it it kind of makes the wheels turn a little differently and you know maybe you know maybe it will help them be the next John Gilmore or, you know, you know, uh, Beth Sobel or something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's cool to, you know, think of it that way instead of thinking, you know, oh, we're just, you know, fooling around. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, even for starving artists, both of my kids are super invested in it. They, they think it's the greatest thing ever that we can go to I'm bored in town and there's copies of my game sitting on the shelf or you know, like whenever they see pictures on the internet from, like I said earlier, Ankara, Turkey and you know other places around the world, Tahiti, that those the game is there. Um, I joked, I, I, I joked with my son, I'm like, well, what happens if like, you know, big game publisher wanted to buy the rights to the game and sell it, at, you know, everywhere. And he got, really sad it was he was so emotionally invested in this game um and and to me i'm like yeah if somebody wanted to come and buy the rights off me and you know publish it have at it he's like no nope nope don't do that (laughs) (laughs) he's like but it's our game yeah exactly that is too cute that is awesome wow oh man well, I think I've taken up enough of your time. We've pretty much hit all of the all the awesome things. So what's you know, I you know, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Is there anything in the future that you that you wanna get people excited about or is there, you know, anything going on right now that you're really stoked about? Yeah, so um I did say earlier that if I were to ever do a Kickstarter again, somebody else is doing it for me. It looks like uh, another game, I don't know if we talked about it the last time, another game that I co-designed with another designer is going to be on Kickstarter sometime this year. It's called Happy Little Planets, or at least that was the name I gave it before I sold off all the rights to that one. Um, (laughs) The publisher said sometime in 2017 so that's looking good they're working on fulfilling another game underlings of underwing and then after that they're looking at doing the kickstarter for that one i have uh i said i also said that i can't stop entering contests Um, (laughs) 
I have made the finals of another Game Crafter contest with a trick-taking game uh, called Toppling Totems, where players play tricks to try to win cards that stack on top of each other to build tall totems. The trick being that you can't build them too tall or they fall over, and then you've got to start over again. And so that was my most recent contest entry, and I, I think I am done. <laughs> no more this year, I don't think. I've run out of, I've run out of things to do. So you know what? I don't believe you. But we'll that's see. probably true. <laughs> I, it's too. It's, it's got to be small. It's got to be got to be small. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I think I'm just going to mostly focus on doing reviews of games that I need to get reviewed. Like after this interview finish some more so. <laughs> that's great so if if people want to view your work or get a hold of you how do you how do they do that sure um i am constantly available on twitter it seems um at fairway three games um you can often find the two of us tweeting gifs at each other <laughs> or gifs as, as it were you can pick up copies of starving artists if you're interested either from my website at starvingartistsgame.com or on amazon otherwise fairway3games.com you can find me my email facebook twitter instagram i'm all over game crafter chat if that's your thing yep. and then and then the ending game report too sure and then the oh yes right yes exactly and you can see <laughs> the all of my reviews on the indiegamereport.com perfect perfect yeah and definitely for anybody that's listening we've talked about it in the past talk about it on twitter if you're really if you're interested at all for starting artists i'm i'm not going to i'm not going to say anything else but get it you're not going to be disappointed. I'm not kidding, and 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 if if I say if I say that, you know that I'm not kidding because I don't normally do that kind of stuff. The highest compliment I ever got about the game is that you know what this game is very cool. Even if you don't play it, you can just put it on your coffee table and look at the art. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's so. right. The 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 most beautiful thing in my house. <laughs> <laughs> you need nicer things. <laughs> the, yep, yep. The old ongoing joke that only, probably only three people know about. So. Right, yep. Oh, that's great. Well, again, Mike, thanks for coming on, and I'm excited to see about the projects that come in the future. It's, I, It sounds like it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of good fun and a lot of good games out there. Hey, I appreciate you having me on again. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.